I cannot wait to introduce you to today's guest, Jill Stelfox. But before we get to that, I want to just mention, first off, thank you for, for joining me on this journey, to figuring out how do we master midlife? And if you're just joining, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to past episodes. We had Bill Courtright talking about stress mastery, and he is an expert in mastering stress and going way beyond what we just typically think of as stress, you know, that tension, anxiety or whatever, but really, really getting a hold of it in how it affects us in all aspects of our lives. We had Jay Coons talking about really, how do you create an intentional midlife? And I love this conversation with Jay because Jay is not a midlife guru. He is not an expert. He's not a world champion. He's just a regular guy who really has given a lot of thought to what he wants his life to look like. And we get to talk about what that's created for him. Also had Joe Stand, and this is actually the most downloaded episode. Joe was talking about normalizing emotion. And that is something that just does not receive enough coverage because we know that some of the challenges around mid is isolation, loneliness, a lack of connection, feeling like we're the only one without problems that we are facing. And at the root of that is really how do we deal with emotion? Because a lot of us weren't really taught well on how to deal with it. And so great, great conversation with Joe. Was very, very excited to have him on. And then we switched gears and we talked about happiness in work and life with Alexander Karouf. And Alex is an expert in happiness at work. He's, he's a champion about it. He's worked with a lot of companies around the world to help them create more happiness at work. And we, and we talk about it really from an individual perspective. And then we had uh, shifting gears. Every episode is a little bit different. Terry Murphy talking about finding what makes you happy. And what was so unique about this conversation with Terry is that in his early 60s, he sold his business, packed his life onto a bicycle, and began touring the U.S. And so we talk about some of the, the lessons learned along the way. And the most recent episode was Midlife is a Gift with Tiffany Eckert. And I agree with that, that philosophy, that approach, that midlife can be pretty awesome. I'm looking for ways to ramp it up even more. So excited to bring Jill Stelfox on. Now, Jill is a serial entrepreneur. And of the many things that, that she is and that she does, she is a passionate champion for everybody, but women in particular. And so we talk a lot about women in leadership and being over 50 and how do you really, and the advantages of appreciating diversity and those who think differently from you. And we really get into failing versus persisting. And but the, the whole theme, the whole overarching theme of everything that we talk about in this episode is how do you change the narrative of your life? Jill helps businesses change their narrative when we think about branding and marketing and sales and customer service and all of that. But we can also apply those lessons directly into our own personal lives. And so I know I haven't done the episode justice in this quick summary of it. I encourage you, I invite you to join us in the conversation. And then please reach out and let me know what you think. I love it when people reach out, connect with me on Instagram or email me. And it's just Brock at MidlifeMasteryPodcast.com. You can reach me there. Anyway, let's get it started. All right. So I'm just going to do a quick introduction. Obviously, if you're listening to this podcast, you know this is Midlife Mastery. I'm Brock Edwards. And today's guest, Jill Stelfox. So Jill, yeah, here's... So we've known each other kind of for a couple of years now. We, we've met a few times in the past and have a connection through a mutual friend, Dan Walchman. 
And anyway, so what, what I know, and the internet helped me with a little bit of this, is uh, you are a serial entrepreneur. So in fact, one of the big, big things to, to brag about on you here is that you turned $50 million of venture capital into a billion dollars of investor returns. And for those listening, that is 50 million with an M and 1 billion with a B. My math, that's a little beyond my math skills for what the rate of return is, but it is amazing. Uh, and so you are, you are a serial entrepreneur, you're a mom, you're a community leader, you're a philanthropist, you ride Harley Davidson's, and you are super passionate. I know this about supporting women and particularly women in leadership roles. So what did I miss in there? Uh, nothing. That's all the things you need to know about me right there. <laughs> All right. Well, and I also know that you, uh, near as I can tell, you're not slowing down and going as strong as ever. In fact, probably stronger than ever, if I were to guess. No, I am. It's funny. I hit a point in my life. Uh, I hit the good old 5-0 mark and I, a light bulb turned on in my head that said, look, if I don't start um, giving back both in philanthropy and um, angel funding to minority CEOs, both um, people of color and women, and don't start dragging women to the top of the food chain and companies. It's just not going to happen. So I better do my part. And so I'm, I just got totally reinvigorated to not slow down and to speed up actually. So what jazzes you about that? I just am terribly hopeful about how brilliant and capable um, young people are today. You know, when I meet young women today, they are so smart and together and grounded and believe in social justice and, you know, good things for the world and the climate. And I just get so hopeful about the future. And I I feel like it's my personal obligation <laughs> to like help them succeed faster than the journey that I had to take. And so I just, I don't know. It's like literally a calling. Oh, that's awesome. So did you start out to be a serial entrepreneur? No, no. I was, my dad is a teacher and he had all girls. And so he always told us, you have to go to college and you have to get a license to do something, a degree from college and a license to do something. So you could always have a job. And so I got a degree in accounting and thought I would just become an accountant, become a CPA. And then after a minute, I was six and a half years in public accounting and figured out these are not my people and I need to go do something different. And it was actually a male mentor of mine who said, you have great leadership skills, which I didn't really understand what he was saying at the time. And you should become a CEO. And I was 29 years old. And I thought, oh, you're not a female 29 years old that becomes a CEO. That is not a thing. So you need to wait your turn and you need to get gray hair and you need to do all these things in order to be that. And he kept pushing me and pushing me. And by the time I was 31, I took my first senior leadership role as running a company in the CEO slot and then never looked back. 
two years. That's an amazingly quick journey. So when he said he saw leadership skills in you, and not just leadership, but senior leadership skills, what was he seeing? I have this. I think everybody has superpowers. Everybody on the earth has superpowers. Do we accept that they're superpowers? Not always. And so my superpower is this very weird skill where I can look at a business or a product and I can, it's almost like seeing a chess game unfold in my head. I can see if you follow these steps, it can be successful and the company can make a lot of money and the employees can be really successful and customers can be really happy. And that's a very weird skill to figure out at 31 years old. And I was so lucky that I had people around me that kept acknowledging that skill and pushing me in that direction. And the more I lean into it, I mean, look, I'm 50. So now I've done it for a while. (laughs) And, you know, you really get like confident that that's maybe your superpower. So, but that is, so that's like, very intuitive business skills, but business skills and leadership skills, I mean, they should go together, but they don't always. So beyond just being able to read a business, what was the people connection that he saw? Yeah, I really, um, it's funny. People tell me now I'm a people person. I am genuinely curious about people. What makes them how to help them be more successful and how to match skill sets where like one and one doesn't equal two. And I just have a unique ability to connect those people dots and then motivate teams to do something great. So, but motivation I mean, that's a big word there, Jill. So what is your approach to motivation? And, and I mean, and, and for all the listeners, yes, we are getting around to talking about midlife, but you know, the journey is part of how we get to midlife here and, and creates who we are. So, so stay tuned here because we are getting somewhere with this. And so Jill, what is your approach to, to motivating? Yeah. So motivation in my vision or my view of it is that you figure out what people's strengths are and people generally love to do what makes them happy and what their strength is. And if you can highlight that and take away the things that they're not good at, then they will have, then they will be more comfortable with their gifts and their skills and they will um, enjoy what they do. And then you layer that on top of a very clear, very customer-centric focus. And I think it's a winning, it's just a winning methodology. So if people know what they're supposed to do and they're playing to their strengths, they'll win the game. That simple. Yeah, no, that's a pretty sophisticated leadership approach. And a lot of people talk about that. Um, Well, actually, some people talk about that. But I've met very, very few that are good at that. How, How did you develop that skill? I think part of it 
is because I'm a female leader. And um, I joke all the time, you know, I was coming up in my career when I was managing two young children, my daughter and my son are 18 months apart, you know, so they were three and four years old and I'm trying to motivate them to do things so that I could get to work on time or, you know, any number of things that moms juggle as they run companies or even work at a company and, you know, try and get done in a day. And so I literally think a lot of it comes from how I raised my kids and how I helped them think about what their superpower is and what makes them happy and what, you know, what outcome do they want for their lives? Um, And that was a big part of it. The other thing is that I have had a business coach and mentors my whole life. Um, When I grew up, I grew up playing soccer and played soccer through most of college. And, you know, you always have a coach. You never not have a coach when you play sports. And so there's always somebody that's helping you improve. And you can see the improvements, you know, from week to week, year to year, you know, game to game. And so it, for some reason, because I came from that mindset, it never occurred to me to not have a coach in, in business. Like if I wanted to be the very best leader, then I should have a coach that holds me accountable for growing in leadership and bouncing skills off of so that I could improve in leadership. And so I literally have had a coach. I've been, you know, in the working world for nearly 30 years and I've had a coach, different coaches over time, but coaches for all 30 years. That's amazing. You know, 30 years ago, well, today executive coaches, business coaches are fairly common, but 30 years ago, they were not. That's Um, right. They were not. Yeah. So, all right. So let, let's talk a little bit. So one of the things, in fact, the theme that I really want to talk about today that I was excited about connecting with you, Jill, is around changing the narrative and really creating lasting change. And, you know, when we think about, in fact, you talked about um, women and in leadership roles. And of course, the theme of this show goes to being over 50. I really want to kind of dig into that and you know, one of the things that, that strikes me that maybe is an issue, maybe it isn't, but when we talking about age can be really awkward. And in fact, when uh, I was first talking with, with Scott, so, so, well, no, Scott, he's one of your employees and I know he's going to be listening to this. So Scott, I'm not revealing any, any deep, dark secrets here, but I just say, said, Hey, you know, uh, we were talking about something else. I just, you know, said, Hey, how old is Jill? Cause you know, I don't know. I think you're about my age. And he was like, dude, you're going to get me fired. And <laughs> I was like, oh, no, 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 no. You don't have to like, is she over 50? And here's why I'm asking Then I explained the whole thing. And then, you know, we could go from there, but it's weird to talk about age in business. And for one reason that, you know, business decisions around age are kind of illegal. Uh, but also there are a lot of biases just about age in general. I mean, getting beyond the legalities and so I guess I want to dig into what what can women do to really excel in leadership, to change that narrative, you know, once they're over 50? Yeah, it's, it's really, you know, what's fascinating, by the way, is it's something that my girlfriends and I talk about a lot is what do you do to change the narrative about 
being over 50? Do we have to be somebody different or, and I don't think any of that is true. The one interesting thing about women my age is when we grew up coming up the ladder, there was sometimes um, other women who were, came before us and they were tough as nails and not great partners in business. Um, And I understand why, you know, if they were the lonely only of females in senior leadership, you could get very jaded over time. And I appreciate that that was likely their story. And now today, while we're not equal in any stretch of the imagination, we are, there is more. And so it's not often nowadays that I am the lonely only female in the room and that there are other women there. And the big difference now is that we actually help each other. We help each other get there and we help each other stay there. And so you're not alone anymore. And I think leaning into surrounding yourself with capable, strong, helpful women is like key to everything. It's key to my sanity. It's key to everything. Let's build on that a little bit, Jill. You know, I came across a quote the other day from Madeleine Albright, who was, you know, the the first woman secretary of state. And she said that there was a special place in hell for women who don't help other women. Mm, I've actually met Madeleine Albright. And really just so fabulous. The first thing she said to me when she met me, she literally grabbed my hand and she said, Jill, you are amazing and you are capable of more. And I thought, what? (laughs) Wow. Because that is a perfect example of the opposite behavior that some women used to sort of have, right? You'd meet them and they'd be like, look, this is my room. I don't know why you're here. I, I took a long way to get here. I don't know. And that's not Madeline Albright. That's not. Well, what is the, I mean, that's a bold statement that she had special place in hell. So what is the importance behind, I mean, from your perspective uh, of women helping other women and why is it, it, I know you can't speak for her, but in her mind, such a sin not to. Yeah, I think so. Here's what I know for sure, especially the reason that I've been able to return so much. I mean, for me, you know, like when you go to school, you get an A on something, it means you did really well. When you're a serial entrepreneur that uses venture capital to, you know, accelerate your company, the way that you get an A grade is by huge. And so the reason I've been able to get huge returns is that I appreciate diversity first. And when you appreciate diversity, it means that you embrace people that think differently because their idea might be, just might be better than yours. And that leads to amazing transformation. So if our companies, the future of our companies are going to succeed, they very much need to have diverse talent people of color, women who are at the table and have a voice. So 
in my generation, I think we've gotten more women at the table. I think we have much, much more work to do where women feel comfortable that they have a voice at the table. And without the voice, America won't be great. Like we need diversity of voice and we have to do it. So what do we need to do? So I mean, we have, like you say, we, we have more and more women in, in leadership roles and senior leadership roles. But if they don't feel like they have a voice, obviously, they're, they're, you know, that's not a good thing. They'll be holding back. They won't be contributing those great ideas. So what, what can we do? What can other leaders do to help encourage um, and bring that voice out? Yeah, it's interesting. I think it's, I was just in a meeting the other day. There's a couple of, of things that would be really helpful. I was in a meeting the other day and I was with a, a partner company and the CEO was male. And the customer asked me a question directly. And the partner gentleman said, well, let me answer for Jill. And I thought, huh, I'm actually capable of answering for myself, but you go. <laughs> And so the first thing I would say is pay attention to talking over, give space for the diverse voice to talk in the room. Just allow space, grace for that. Um, And if it still doesn't come with a small delay in time, then ask them directly, hey, Jill, what are your thoughts on this? It's funny because I see that asking that question is allyship, right? That's kind of like the flavor, the word of the year is be an ally. And I think this is one great way that enlightened men can help us speak up is to just ask us to. It's that simple. Well, building even beyond that, and, and I love that because that's, well, it, it is simple. Uh, create space ask, encourage, what can, what can women in leadership roles do, or even women not in leadership roles do to help those who are in leadership roles and searching for that voice? Yeah, it's interesting. So the, um, I belong to an organization called Women in Sports Technology, and we formed it, a bunch of um, my good friends formed it because we were the only women at the table in our sports-related businesses. And it got lonely. And so we formed this nonprofit organization to help give women a voice. And the first thing we did was a study of why don't women feel like they have a voice or feel like they want to join the table? Like what's going on? And we surveyed thousands of young women. And what came back was like three simple things. One is they felt like they didn't have a role model. And so that's sort of easily fixed in companies. If you highlight women, you, you intentionally highlight women. You can do it in company newsletters. You can do it through LinkedIn stories. You can do it on Instagram. You can do it in a lot of ways where you highlight stories about successful women in your company And then other women look at that and think, oh, well, if she can do that, I can do that. I mean, clearly, if I can do it, anyone could do it. 
So ask my children, I'll tell you that. <laughs> so I think that's one. Two is um, you have to have mentors and they are enlightened men and women. So it's not just women mentors, but enlightened men who say, you know, you can do this. You can speak up. You can um, take the role. Here's how you make the next career journey. Um, and so that mentorship is really, really important. And then the other, or the last thing is make sure that they have their own um, group within, you know, their own peer group that they can be successful with too. The nice thing about you know, younger employees today is they do that naturally. They form their own groups naturally, which is what we should lean in and help even more. All right. So we, we, we have been talking uh, about leadership and this is fantastic because I haven't had the chance to have this conversation on this show yet. And I love talking about leadership and over 50 and women leadership. I mean, that, it, I love this topic. So anyway, um, but I do want to make sure it covers. So like the individual. So just thinking about, you know, whether you're in a business role or not, whether you're in a leadership role or not, you know, one of the things, Jill, that you mentioned that you're really good at is, you know, creating lasting change, turning around companies. And I kind of think, and, and I don't know how true this is, but I'd like to think that a lot of the principles that you can use to turn a company around, you can also use to turn an individual around. And, you know, change that narrative for the individual, create that change for them. And I don't know if you've even thought about it this way before, but what are some of those business principles that might translate to just human principles? So the one thing that I think is true about a business journey is you don't always know where the company is going, you know, listen CEOs, we like to think that we do, but we don't always know where the company is going. We have a sense of where the market is and we have the sense of what our customers want and we have a sense of what our product can do and we hope that it all comes together in a really good way. So when it comes to an individual, I don't think you always know where the next step is in your career or the next job to take or the next project to say yes to. And one thing that my father said to me when I was very young was the best part of life comes one step after you're totally uncomfortable. And it was his way of saying, lean in, take that step to being uncomfortable because it will bring you joy. Now, listen, it's hard work. You know, it often is harder than you think or scarier than you think or something like that. But leaning in, taking that next step and being okay with being uncomfortable and yet brave enough to still move forward, I think is huge. You know, a lot of the times when we're uncomfortable, it is a, a warning to us, hmm. you know, I mean, you know, we, we can use the the easy example of pain. Yeah. Pain is a warning, like, hey, don't do that anymore. You know, take your hand off the hot stove. But sometimes it's false. Sometimes your body is just reacting to keep you alive and isn't worried about, you know, when, when, it, when it's a false warning. 
And I kind of think our comfort zones are, are, the, are the same way too. You know, it's our brain trying to protect us from, from getting hurt. And yet a lot of the times it's really just a, a false warning. It, it, we're not actually going to get hurt. From your experience, how do you yeah. discern where, where the, you know, danger stop, this is really bad versus just the, oh, I'm really uncomfortable, but really I'll be okay line is. Yeah, that's a really good question because I think the first time you do it, it's as scary as anything because you're thinking, uh-oh, this could actually end badly. You know, now looking back on it and looking back on my career, I've done it enough to know that nine times out of 10, the joy of stepping out of my comfort zone is so much greater and it's worth it in the end. And so I would just say, I mean, this most people, not most people, a lot of people, I would say, just sit and think about it. Should I, should I not? Should I, should I not? And that, that zone is the worst zone of all. You either do it and be okay with the fact that you could fail and give yourself grace in the failure. Like, don't look back, just keep moving on. It's like, well, that didn't work out. Okay. Or you don't do it and you stop thinking about it. But most people are in that middle zone where they're like, I don't know, should I, should I not? You ask all your friends, you do all this stuff. And I would say, if you find yourself in that moment, just do it. Just do it. You know, you mentioned grace in the failure and you know, you're an entrepreneur and there's this myth, like if you watch any movies about entrepreneurs or company turnarounds, you know, it, it, it does feel almost um, predetermined, you know, uh, that it is going to work out okay. And it, it all makes sense. And they pull it together in the end and there's never any failure, but that's not life. But, but it is the myth that we, yeah. we, we've had ingrained into us, you know, three minutes on Instagram will convince you that no one has ever failed ever. Uh, but how do you give yourself grace in, in that moment of, or actually, no, that's not the question I asked Jill. I guess what I'm getting at is how do you keep going in the face of failure when we've been taught so long that the failure isn't a good thing. And I know you have a huge focus on, you know, how do you win this business game? How, so I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm asking you a terrible question, Jill, because I can't formulate it in my own head here. But, you know, drawing that distinction. I think I know where you're going. Okay. There. Well, yeah. answer where you think I'm going and hopefully we'll meet there. Yeah. So, I th- first of all, I have failed a lot in my career. Let me just say that out loud. Because the way I get over failure is by talking about it, which by the way, I think is a female thing. (laughs) We talk about these things. Um, And so I see it. I don't see failure as a bad thing in my head. Failure is an opportunity to learn. So I learn fast, like don't do that, that and forward. And I literally decide I'm going to think about this for 24 hours, or if it's a big failure, a week. And then I'm going to leave it behind. I'm going to leave it on the floor, which is exactly how all of our sports heroes manage. 
is they play a game and they lose miserably and they leave it on the field and they go back a week later with the thought in their head that this one they're going to win. They're better prepared. They know more about what they're doing and they're going to win this one. And I think about it exactly the same. Well, when you're, Is that where you were headed? Yes. Like, yeah. Yeah, you 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 understood the question that I could not ask very very well. So <laughs> thank you. Well, you know, yeah. and and along those lines, for you, and, and I know this is different in every situation, but I'm always curious. You know, sometimes when things aren't going well and it just feels like you're beating your head against the wall, what it takes is one more step. You know, um, there have been so many great quotes. I'm blanking on them right now. Unfortunately, just the idea that success kind of comes, you know, that <laughs> that one step beyond what feels like total failure. And other times, what's one step beyond total failure is just more total failure. And, and so yeah. how do you discern when to kind of cut your losses, refocus, pivot, whatever, versus persisting and moving forward? Yet in general, my experience has told me that most of the time, you know, literally most of the time, you just have to keep moving forward differently, but moving forward nonetheless. And most entrepreneurs quit right before they're successful or they self-sabotage because they don't think they deserve the success. In some ways, I don't want to get too metaphysical about that, but I do think sometimes entrepreneurs blow themselves up. So I think part of it is, again, being brave enough to take the next step. So when do I not do that? I surround myself now, and this is the benefit of being my age, with amazing people that I have worked with, known, loved for 10 years, 15 years, 12 years, And when they get in my face and say, stop, (laughs) this is a record we have played before and it is not going to work. You need to stop. I very much listened to that advice and I literally meditate, find a quiet place and really go inward to discern what the world is trying to tell me. And then I come forward with like, what am I going to do? And so so surrounding yourself with really good people at those failure moments is key. And by the way, it's one of the reasons why you have to talk about it. From what I said before, if you're not talking about your failures, no one can help you. So you have to talk about things aren't working so you can seek guidance and help. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I suspect you're... You're very right that that talking about failure piece, you know, there is, it feels like there's a lot of stigma around it of, yeah. you know, not, not admitting failure or many people don't necessarily have the right person to talk to about that. You know, we, we might have our spouse or significant other, but they're really invested in our success <laughs> and it can be hard to talk about failure then sometimes or, you know, even with our managers, again, they're looking, we want to be successful in their eyes or how they, which I guess goes back to the advantage of having mentors, of having business coaches, of having peers that aren't connected to you, 
but that you can really relate to and discuss those things with. As we start to wrap up here, Jill, what what advice that I haven't asked you about would you have for for women who are you know fifties, sixties, who are still looking to have that thriving, vibrant career? Yeah, I would say two pieces of advice. One is um, this. I don't know, maybe it's because I have such a calling about it, but I really see this as the opportunity to give back. And we have a lot of lessons <laughs> that we could give back to young women who are climbing up the ladder. And my personal goal, and I would encourage you guys to come up with a personal goal as well, is to make sure that young women get there faster than I did. How awesome would that be? Um, we could equal the playing field faster, which would be great for everyone. So that's one. And two is don't lose your voice. You have more to say, more lessons, more leadership, more guidance, more everything. So lean in. Why not? Lean in. And that is a fantastic place to to wrap this up, Jill. Otherwise, we could talk for a really, really long time about all these topics, but it has been phenomenal having you on the show, Jill. And if people want to learn more about you, find out more about you, connect with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Find me on LinkedIn. It's super simple. Jill Stelfox on LinkedIn. Um, and I'm right there. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jill.